Grace City family, Merry Christmas. Welcome to the fourth Sunday of Advent. I want to say too, because I promised them I would, I want to say hello to my grandchildren, Pax and Sloan and Luca and Amos. Uh, welcome to Advent this early in your life. You know, that scripture that Crystal just read is a tough one, isn't it? And uh, it's one that we don't pay a whole lot of attention to, but I want to, let's open in prayer and let's bow our heads together here at uh, the BMI with the crew that's here as well as at home. And let's lift up our neighborhoods and our city and our world that is in such trouble. Uh, and trouble uh, was there, very present at that first Christmas. Let's pray together. Father, we know what it is to live in the midst of terror and trouble. This year has been full of all of that and more. And we feel it in our hearts and our souls, Lord. And sometimes we wonder, what is it in our faith that speaks to all that we go through? And Father, I thank you for today's text that, that uh, tells us exactly how vulnerable the incarnation is, that when God sent his son to be born into this world, it wasn't easy. As a matter of fact, it was full of horror. And so, Father, we thank you that what you lead us in today is hope and solutions and a vision for tomorrow because of who you are, not because of who we are. So, Father, we lift up on this fourth Sunday of Advent. We give you everything that we are, all that we've gone through. We surrender it to you now. We give it back to you and we say, we stand with you because your son knows exactly what it is we go through and more. And we are grateful that you are that kind of God who is so close. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, Grace City Church. You know, Corey and I have deeply enjoyed preaching this theme of home. Uh, around the Advent year here in 2020. And we've each week returned to the first Christmas uh, and looked at the, the historicity of Jesus, the story, the settings of the various characters. We've learned about a whole lot about Jesus' family history, multi-generational. And, and Corey, I think we've noticed an edge to the story uh, as we strip away some of the mythology that we've grown up with and adopted, but isn't really in the text. And as we strip that away um, and look with fresh eyes at the text, I think it's been an enormous blessing. It certainly has been for me. I hope it has been for you. If you've missed any of these Advent sermons, I really encourage you to go back and hear them because they will, um, they will give you a whole lot of the story that maybe we've been missing. Now, this, this morning we go, for, we go back and further, further into that first Christmas. Uh, and it's going to be, it's a hard story, as you heard read in the text. It's hard. We'll be looking uh, at the part of the story that our pageants and our celebrations, frankly, never pay any attention to. They never touch them. And this morning, I'm working from the title, Finding Home in the Midst of Trouble. Finding Home in the Midst of Trouble. Now, we know this, 700 years before the first Christmas in Bethlehem, Isaiah sent us a save the date of sorts. You know what those are. Uh, for the arrival of the Messiah, the arrival of the King. And, and we, as we preach, we've had these uh, corollary themes this, this week uh, or this month of, uh, of that prophecy from Isaiah. And we've learned that 
uh, he, the child is the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting father. And today our corollary theme is that he is also the prince of peace. But ironically, Mary Lou, ironically, perhaps when we talk about peace and the prince of peace, that is when trouble finds Christmas. Now stay with me. Corey's message last week incorporated two essential points as that trio of Babylonian wise men uh, invaded the home, walked into the door of Jesus' birth home, and they worshipped him and they treasured him. And in the midst of their overwhelming joy at the arrival of the Messiah, one could say for that the Jewish people, at least, the hopes and dreams of all the years had finally arrived, finally come to pass. Now this morning we're going to pick up where Corey left off at that first Christmas, uh, and we know that the day that the Magi uh, crowded through the doorway of Joseph and Mary and their baby son's home, it was a day that began in sheer delight. The mere presence of these three wise men gave a vibe of wonder and mystery to the whole thing. And I imagine the Magi um, breathlessly told their story to the family about the long journey from Persia. I mean, imagine for a moment hearing them tell their story. Joseph, Mary, we, we heard about the story. We followed this star. It stopped overhead. And, and listen, by the way, we've brought great resources for the child. And I think Mary and Joseph at this point would have been exploding with <clears throat> anticipation and joy. The story is, is stunning. A thousand miles across a desert on a camel of all things. And when the Magi began to worship the child, I think the rush would have been just tremendous. Just imagine that. Now look at Matthew 2.12 on, on your screen. This is where the wise guys leave. And we get some foreshadowing uh, from their return just in this verse uh, about dreams and about Herod and the evil of Herod. But for that moment, back with the Holy Family, home alone now, I imagine the couple would have stepped out into the night, uh, still hyped up, wanting to clear their heads uh, uh, and their minds about both the cosmic prospects for their baby and what was coming. I mean, the wonder must have been intense as they pondered, for instance, these astonishing gifts left behind. Gold, which was the world currency. Frankincense, which was in ancient times worth more than gold. Myrrh, which was a gift fit only and given only to a king. So many heavenly things to consider. And now, at the same time, actual financial relief for the family. This new baby son now comes with this enormous trust fund. And uh, alongside the weight of the cosmos, that was a good thing to have. And their relief would have been unmistakable as their poverty now was largely alleviated. And I imagine they would have been making plans, maybe like you have when you've gotten that promotion. You know, they, they would have been talking about maybe Joseph might have said, Mary, we can get that house in Jerusalem that we've always dreamed about. Maybe we can get a new camel uh, or two or maybe one with two humps. I don't know. But in their home, it must have taken a long time for that couple to calm down. I, I get excited just thinking about it. But to calm down and get to sleep that night, it would have taken a long time. And, and like any couple with a newborn, I'm quite sure both of them. And you know what this is like. Both of them would have gotten up at some point to check on the baby, to feed the baby, to wonder again at the gifts lying there. Maybe they'd have gone outside, taken one more look at the star overhead. I imagine Joseph wrapping his arms around Mary from behind and dreaming together, saying, what in the world is coming next? And the joy would have been palpable. Anticipation, high hopes. Mary, we got this. Now let's get some sleep. 
and heavenly peace. Let's get some sleep. And at first, I suppose, they might have dreamed about what God had in store for their new baby son. And we'd love to stop there. But we can't. And we shouldn't. Because of all, this, all of a sudden, peace went on the run. Peace became elusive. And we need to understand this too, Grace City, in our celebrations, if we are to thrive on this side of heaven. Because Grace City Advent holds more than the Holy Family, it holds more than the manger and the shepherds, and more than the journey of the wise men, because that very night, after the Magi departed, their peaceful home became the target of a home invasion. And that's my first point today. A target of a home invasion. This is something we never celebrate on our Christmas cards, and I think that's appropriate. Never do that. Perhaps their sleep began with peaceful dreams, but Grace City, it was not the only dream that night because Joseph had another dream. Look at verse 13 with me. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Now, Joseph was used to this, right? Here's what the angel said. Listen, get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Imagine those verbs in, in, that, in that warning. Get up, escape, stay there, search, kill your baby. Church, violence is at the door, home invasion, and the Prince of Peace is now a refugee on the run. Now, before I continue, let me warn you, as, as this text goes on, I would rate it MA for mature audiences only due to scenes of violence and death. And it will beg the question that all of us face at some point in life, many of us just this year, and we face it repeatedly. And here's the question, and it's either within ourselves or from a friend, and it's one we face now, and it's something like this. But in the midst of 1.7 million deaths around the globe from the pandemic, plus all of the other division uh, uh, going on around, here's the question, some version of it, how does anyone keep believing with so much horror around us? Death, racist murder, while our own selves feel like they're eroding in this pandemic. And I believe, church, that one reason the Holy Spirit had Matthew include this part of the Christmas story is that so no follower of Christ in history, from that time forward, none of us would ever be caught unawares by tragedy, especially we would not be caught unawares by the potential for human evil. It bookends the life of our Prince of Peace, doesn't it? We see it as Jesus is born in this story, and we certainly see it again at the cross. And so we know God is absolutely willing to expose himself to the vulnerability that is at the heart of the incarnation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and was exposed and subjected to terror and to horror, that word, that Jesus. And, God, and church, if the gospel can flourish in a world that slaughters innocence, it can flourish anywhere. So with this in mind, let's go back to the text. This angel warning is urgent and it's explicit. Get up, take the child, escape. It's absolutely terrifying. They are coming to kill your son. Let this sink in. Particularly those of you who have had children. Imagine the terror. They're coming to kill him. And Joseph gets it. He doesn't roll over Corey and say, I'm exhausted. This will have to wait till morning. No, he, he gets it. He has some experience with dreams. He has some experience with angels. And look at, look at verse 14 and 15. He gathers them up. 
they go. He rouses Mary, swaddles the baby. They pack a few belongings, including the gifts. Now divinely provided, not as a trust fund, but after all, for the journey of escape and the life to come in Egypt, these are what these gifts provide for. They quietly creep out of Bethlehem under the cover of darkness, and as soon as it seemed safe, they quickened their step. Get up. Herod is coming and wants to kill your son. Now, it's, now it becomes fleeing for their lives, and that sounds like 2020 in a way, doesn't it? It's different, but doesn't it feel like it so many ways as we're masked up and keeping distant and keeping guard that, it, that, that we're in a sense fleeing for our very lives at times? And check out the map. You're going to see a map on your screen. From Bethlehem, just south of Jerusalem, it was 75 miles to the provincial border, then through Bathsheba, across the wilderness of Sin, down to the Sinai Peninsula, and finally they get to the River Nile, 500 miles in all, down to Egypt with a newborn. Imagine. Egypt was just right, just right as the place to flee because it was a stable Roman province outside of Herod's jurisdiction. And because of uh, a large Jewish expatriate population, some scholars say, Corey, that there were at least a million Jews living in Egypt at the time. It was a great place for the Holy Family to become anonymous uh, and get, frankly, get lost. But meanwhile, church, and here's where the, where the uh, mature audiences only comes in particularly. Meanwhile, far away back in Palestine, Herod the psychopath enacts stunning historic terror on the population of Bethlehem and the surrounding region. Look at verse 16. We don't think much about this part of the Christmas story, but here it is. Wipe out all the male babies under two. Wipe them out and in the surrounding area. Go to the census office. Look at the registries. I want every one of them killed. Imagine. Can you imagine baby boys torn from their mother's arms? It can't get any worse, can it? And don't you doubt for a minute that Herod would do such a thing near the end of his life. Herod was both brilliant and brutal. We know this from all the corollary histories about Herod. And in his later years, he was gradually disintegrating. He'd married 10 women. And because he was suspicious of his favorite's political loyalty, he murdered Mary Omni. Sons were seen as rivals too, and he murdered at least two of them in a Sumerian fort. It was a brutal world into which Jesus was born, and Herod was perhaps the most distorted version of a human being, but he happened to be king. And when those two things come together, all bets are off for what terror really is, right? When evil men rule a country, our concept of home is turned upside down. Our home and our very homes, our home in our street, our home with our neighbors, our home in our city, our home in our very country. When evil men rule, home is turned upside down and it's vulnerable. And home becomes the life of a refugee. So let's get our minds around this dimension of Christmas. We remain in the midst of trouble today. Violence around the world this week. Ongoing violence against truth, um, against people of color, against refugees, against democracy in our country. And adding, adding to it all the overwhelming violence of pandemic fear and death that inhabits all of us. In the midst of human and natural violence, and we'll no doubt hear and experience more of that as the Christmas day approaches next week, Understand, it is not new in 2020. It has been with us since Bethlehem's first Christmas. It was dreadful. I mean, we sing how still we see thee lie, but that was not on their lips then. Not long, not ever. There was no deep and dreamless sleep. Angels were 
inhabiting the dreams to guard the new baby. It's a nightmare of wailing and heartbreak from which can hardly recover, and it seems a lot like 2020. I know we ask at some level, will we ever recover from this year? But we know the rest of the story when it comes to the life of our baby Savior. And we know, church, stay with me here, we know that a home invasion, no matter how ruthless, cannot withstand, withstand the power of our home team, captained by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to accomplish my second point, which is simply this, home restoration. In the face of home invasion, it's Jesus who accomplishes home restoration. <clears throat> now you see here in verses 19 and 20, that Herod would die just a couple years later in 4 AD. And listen, Great City, all the little Herods in our history, in our life, will one day be overthrown by death or elections or something. And as Corey preached earlier this year, evil will wear itself out. Though it is appropriate to ask, how long? How long will it take? And so the Holy Family returns to Israel in verse 20. But what of our Prince of Peace? Because there's still no peace, Crystal. The Old Testament prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel uh, wrote this, how can we sing a peace when there is no peace? That's a great question for us. Joy to the world talks about peace, silent night. I don't think there are silent nights this year because we wake up with fear. And that's a great question in every epoch of history. Because church, the opposite of peace is never hard to find, is it? It's always with us. Violence of some kind up here, in here, out there, somewhere, Peace as an idea, church, is elusive. But peace as a person, that's something else again. And that changes the rules. Now, there was no peace in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. But isn't that when we need a prince of peace most of all? So the child arrives sent by God. And let me double down on this for a moment. Luke tells us that a great company of angels announced Jesus' birth with the words, listen, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. That's in Luke chapter 2. And you'll hear this read by our children at our Christmas Eve service just later this week. But it seems to mean that, that Jesus' coming would mean peace on earth. And that sounds great. And I'm in. Raise your hand if you're in for that. But when one looks around 2020, the promise of peace on earth seems like a broken promise, doesn't it? Wherever one looks, whether Afghanistan or Syria or southern border, political division, police violence, dreadful divisions in the Christian church, global Muslim Christian conflict, the worldwide pandemic, escalating poverty, I could go on and on. The angel's promise of peace rings a bit hollow, doesn't it? The angel's song reflects the ancient prophetic promise of a future Messiah, Isaiah and Micah, uh, spoke of the coming one who would bring righteousness, justice, and peace. Here are the words they use. The wolf will live with the lamb. The, the, they will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. You know these lines. It's a wonderful vision. And we long for such things, but it did not happen at that first Christmas, and it has not happened yet. So was the angel's promise of that first Christmas, was it naive, broken, unfulfilled? Listen, the home invasion of human evil cannot withstand the provision of home restoration because of one thing. That Christmas baby, Jesus, grew up. He grew up, and around 30 years old, Jesus the carpenter began his ministry, and he cared for the poor and the oppressed. He healed the sick. He criticized 
just deeply criticized the religious, the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. Huge crowds flocked to him. Most Jews, now keep this in mind, most Jews of, of Jesus' day were expecting a military Messiah to defeat Roman oppression. But Jesus unequivocally, the Prince of Peace unequivocally rejects their call to violent revolution. He taught and teaches us today that the kingdom of peace is a counter-invasion. Now stay with me here. And it was witnessed in his life and his ministry. In Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19, Jesus quotes uh, Isaiah 61 to explain his mission. Take a look on the screen. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the job description of those who would do home restoration. Led by Christ. Here Jesus tells us that the long-awaited restoration of God's kingdom of peace and justice was breaking into history as he, the Prince of Peace, the Messiah, forgave people's sins, healed the sick, lifted up the poor of the press, and taught people how to live. And Jesus and those who would follow him, and that's you and me, God's kingdom of peace and justice is continuing, continuing to invade planet Earth. He even taught Corey how to love the oppressor. Did you know that? How to love the oppressor. Imagine that. Jewish revolutionaries urged Jews to attack Roman soldiers. But Jesus told his disciples to carry the pack of Roman soldiers. And not just the legally required one mile. Carry it two miles. That's in Matthew 5 in his Sermon on the Mount. He commanded his followers to love their enemies. Imagine. Jesus healed the servant of a Roman centurion. And then listen. He declared that that Roman centurion had demonstrated more faith than anybody else in Israel. And then he added in Matthew 8 that his new messianic kingdom was not just for Jews, but for people everywhere, even the hated Roman imperialists. You talk about reconciliation at Grace City. Here it is in that first gospel years of Jesus. Throughout history, church, many followers of Christ, too many, much of the time have ignored Jesus' call to love their enemies. We can ignore it no longer. If Christ followers of history or today had dared to live what he had taught, human history would be radically different, wouldn't it? The angel's promise would have taken visible shape here on earth in ways that we could hardly imagine. So, in 2020, the angel's promise of peace on earth, it has not been fulfilled. But does that mean we should forget the angel's promise as naive or wrong? No, it means this, that Christmas and every Christmas, Jesus calls his disciples you and me, to live his way of peace, to be his agents, his instruments of peace. And I want you to know, his way of peace is never passive. Peace is not passive in the Gospels, in the New Testament. It's really not about rest or carols or silent nights. All of that's a good thing. Enjoy those this week. But that's not what the Prince of Peace is about. For our Jesus of the Gospels, peace is more than a noun. It's really an action verb, an action to be taken. It is a, a plow to the high, icy drifts of violence. It is a spoke driven into the wheel of injustice. It implies in its very core action. Home restoration only comes as we wage peace in a violent world. 
When, when Corey and I and many of the men of Grace City join other men of other churches and join other men of, of mosques and around this city, and we walk by the hundreds into the most violent neighborhoods in Baltimore, it's, it's to do nothing other than to wage peace on behalf of the kingdom of God. We walk into, into violent worlds with, with a counter-invasion of active peace. And at Grace City, listen, church, as we head into 2021, our mission of reconciliation, it is a weapon of peacemaking in a divided city, desperate for reconciliation. And I guarantee you this, the best in that, in that uh, waging of peace through reconciliation, the best is yet to come. So this Christmas, listen, we do not lament our failure to live up to the Prince of Peace as much as we resolve in 2021 toward a new obedience to our Prince of Peace. This Christmas, let's beg our Lord to show us how to be Christ's instruments of peace, justice, and reconciliation. What I call those negligible, noble things. They're not that hard to spot. It's just hard for us to actually do them. Let's do the negligible, noble things that accomplish home restoration in our broken families, our terribly divided churches, our dangerously polarized nation, and our violently broken world. Amen, Grace City. Let's pray together, and then we're going to worship some more. Father, please show us. Show us and empower us so that we now, in this coming year, we will make the angel's promise of peace a visible reality in our hurting world. We thank you in the name of the Prince of Peace, our baby Savior, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together, and then I'll be back with the offering and the benediction.